And I'll tell you what else is really, really fun. It's um going on the internet and putting www.homebrewed.au <laughs> into your browser. It's probably the funnest thing you can do apart from listen to Cosmos Midnight. Uh, but no, we are going to jump uh, right now to a topic which aired, I guess, aired, screened. Ah, it's music news time. Gentlemen, this is Democracy Manifest. It went live. We, we published an article. <laughs> it was published <laughs> at homebrew.au. And, uh, yeah, we're going to be chatting about it and dissecting it because if you missed it at the start of the show, our topic for the music news this evening is all about Groovin' the Moo. It was cancelled uh, this year. And we're going to be looking at why. They've come out and said low ticket sales, which, you know, potentially fair enough, potentially not. We'll be talk- looking at that as well. But what are the reasons for the low ticket sales is there a bit of a cultural shift is it to do with the cost of living or is it something else entirely these are the questions that we asked um so we yeah we're going to expand and elaborate on that article that did go live on homebrewed.au yesterday check it out if you are interested that is of course our website we put our podcast up there um we write things on our blog we talk about artists um central coast artists we've got of course all of our videos studio sessions videos up there more to come this year as well. Stay tuned. Um, but yeah, this article went up yesterday. For a bit of background, we have to go back to last week. So on Monday, um, those of you that are Reddit dwellers, if you use the uh, social media platform Reddit, uh, there's a Triple J subreddit. And I believe on Monday, someone dropped a little rumor in there. They said, hey, hot tip, Groovin's getting cancelled this year. Groovin the Moo is, of course, uh, one of Australia's biggest regional festivals. This year, it was tipped to visit six regional areas in Australia. It's like a festival tour. So this is a full-scale, one-day festival, dozens of acts. They go around the country, they hit regional centres that otherwise wouldn't get live music anywhere near on the scale that Groovin provides. It's been around since 2005. Prior to this cancellation, the only time it had stopped was 2020 and 2021 for you know what, <laughs> COVID. Uh, and by Wednesday, that Triple J subreddit rumor spreader inside person, scoop, yeah, as was it turned out was vindicated. They put a post up only eight days after tickets went on sale, saying, "Yeah, we're cancelling the whole thing for this year." Yeah, and they did cite um, ticket sales as a reason for them having to cancel the festival, which we, we know and we've discussed a lot of many times on Homebrew, the costs that do go into to running a festival, especially on this scale, like six cities across regional Australia. You've got all the vendors plus the musicians and you know the road crew, everybody who has to get their cuts. So if you're not seeing those ticket sales early doors, you go, well, it's, let's just cut our losses, cancel the festival, refund the tickets and pay out whatever we need to pay because it's going to be cheaper than going ahead with the festival based on our ticket sale forecast. But is eight days really enough to make a judgment call on ticket sales? This is probably, I guess, the first big question we're going to be asking in our music news this evening. Yeah, that question was asked a bit in the Groove in the Moo comments section on their Instagram after they posted this statement. It had only been eight days um, since they put it on sale. From all accounts, the shows, so previously it was at Maitland, uh, the one relevant to us. It moved to Newcastle this year, didn't it? Yeah, it was moved to Newcastle because um, I went to the Maitland one last year and it is a bit of a trek. Um, accessibility is very easy. Uh, 
in a lot of regards, it was like pissing down with rain um, when we got there. That made things even more complicated. Um, and so they got feedback and said, we'll move it to Newcastle for sure, which I suppose makes it a bit less regional. But apparently the Newcastle ticket sales were excellent, as were, I think, the gold, the one near the Gold Coast, wherever that is. So those two were really, really strong. Yeah, I remember seeing them posting in the Newcastle one saying that you guys have smashed the tickets. And I, I think, I don't know if they sold out or not, but they were selling like hotcakes. Yeah, yeah. So super high. Um, so they were getting a lot from them, but it was those other places. They were hitting six six states, I think, and territories, as we said. There's Canberra, which is a big one as well. Um, Port Hedland. Uh, don't ask me. Anyway, they were hitting a lot of spots. Um, and I suppose what I also read when I was researching the piece on homebrew.au was that we have seen in the past festivals go bust. This isn't new, uh, but uh, what's changed in the landscape uh, in the last decade or so is that a lot of the vendors that are working for these festivals that require upfront payment to some degree. So what happened previous with festivals like Big Day Out, Stereo Sonic, et cetera, that ended up getting canceled, people would wait like two years to get paid. This can be food truck vendors, truck drivers, um, you know, photographers, whatever else. It could take them two years for those invoices to get paid because the way festivals work is you're kind of relying on the next ticket sales to pay the last people. It's not ideal, but we know there's not a lot of money in festivals. So what Groovin was looking at um, was that it was an event with a heap of moving parts um, and they needed to pay people up front before they could even get started on work. We know they were hitting six different locations, so that meant a lot of people. Um, this is obviously venue hire, ground availability, security, the people who set the fences up, the people who drive the trucks, the road crew, the food people, the bar operators, the, the riggers, you know, all of these people were, had their hand out say, yeah, we'll get started, we need the money. If they're looking down the barrel eight days in and saying these tickets aren't moving, very well at all. They mightn't have even had the cash on hand to pay these, or if they did, they were taking an enormous risk in terms of how much money they were outlaying. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. And, you know, no one wants to wait two years to get paid. So this model that, you know, we're Groovin are using is certainly the, the best way to do it, but it is very reliant on ticket sales and pre-sale and all these sorts of things. Because as we've discussed many times on the show, ticket sales, people are waiting longer and longer until they do purchase their tickets, often up until the day or the week before the show or the festival. Um, so this is why you see pushes for pre-sales and discounts and you know pre-sale discounts and that sort of stuff because it is super crucial for festivals and event organisers to, to get a, a good idea, not only of how many ticket sales they might be able to sell, but also how much money they actually have to play with from the get-go. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, they need to be able to honour their contracts and that's why, as Cam said, there's this big push, you know, get in early bird you know, they need to know we've seen this post COVID trend that people speculated because events were getting canceled so much throughout those COVID years that people didn't want to commit and buy a ticket early only for the event to be canceled. But I feel like there's so much distance between that now that maybe there's something more going on. Um, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just a lasting psychological effect of how we approach these things. Maybe it's money. They don't want to spend it until the last minute. I think money does have a big impact on that because if you're, you know, I have to outlay money for a festival in two months' time. Well, I don't know what sort of money I'll be needing 
in two months' time. So I'll wait another two months until the the festivals, you know, in the week of, and then I can look at my bank balance and go, okay, yeah, I can afford to go to this music festival plus, you know, food and drink and potential accommodation as well. So it all it, it adds up to a lot more than just the ticket, for, especially for these festivals. Um, but that I would say cost of living does have a big impact on yeah. people wanting to wait longer to buy their ticket. And the cost of living is obviously another reason potentially why ticket sales below because people, not only are they waiting to see if they can afford to buy it, they just know, no, I can't afford to go this year. For sure. Um, and this is another thing, obviously, with the increase in everything, the festival's costs have gone up as well. Um, so that would have been factoring into their decision-making. It's also factored into their ticket pricing. So for those who haven't been to these one-day events in the past, maybe three, pre-COVID, an event like Groovin, um, similar one-day festivals like that, they were roughly 100 110 bucks to go to. Since then, those prices have jumped, obviously, as you would expect, because their costs have jumped yep. um, up to 150 plus, um, all up to 200 to go to these events. So obviously, the financial burdens a lot, as you alluded to, Cam, people are considering that now when they go into these events, okay, I've got to pay for transport there, possibly accommodation as well. I've got to pay for food and drink throughout. We all know how much drinks cost in these places. It's like 14 bucks a beer, yep. 10 bucks of water. Um, so this can quickly balloon out close to a thousand dollars for this one day thing. So rather than people just going, sweet, I'll snap a ticket to that. And the other costs are kind of secondary or they don't really think about them because everyone's watching their money at the moment because of how expensive things are. They're considering it as a whole commitment, uh, as something they're going to have to go to and going to have to pay for. And it becomes a bit more of a daunting prospect mm. when you're staring down the barrel of that pre-sale or early bird or ticket sale. Yeah, and even to take it away from music, you, how many small businesses have we seen sort of, may, particularly in the cities, sort of pack up and leave because people can't afford to to go down to the little movie theatre and see a movie or anything like that anymore because just everything is so expensive. People, as you said, they're watching their money, they're keeping things tight because they have to. Um, but another potential reason for the low ticket sales is actually the model itself. And this is where I think the conversation gets very interesting because it's not a point that I think we've spoken about too much. We've spoken a lot about, you know, ticket buying habits and cost of living, but the actual model of festivals like Groove and the Moo and ones like it who have also, we've seen many festivals cancelled in the last 12 months as well. So you've seen, you know, many sort of pointed out that, you know, a lot of boutique festivals, uh, Meredith Pitch and Blues Fest as well to a degree, um, they're sort of they're attacking festivals in a different way. Yeah, yeah. The festivals like what you mentioned there have been booming um, sellouts year on year, these kind of smaller in scale events. Even um, Lo so Lost Paradise as well. Lost Paradise um, is a great Glenworth example. Valley here on the Central Coast as well because, yeah, they're, they're doing more than just music. They are doing more than just music. So there's there's less punters actually, they have less tickets available going. So they have a smaller scale event, which I think can often work in an event's favor because things are easier. You're not in a sea of 20,000 people trying to navigate weight and toilet lines, all of those things. Um, also the festival ground ends up a little bit smaller, which makes it a bit cozier. You know where everything is. It's easier to get around. But 
what you are noticing with events like Meredith. So Meredith, for example, is a balloted festival. You have to go into a ticket ballot. It sells out so much every year. There's so much interest that you just register for a ballot and then you get the right to purchase tickets. Uh, you have to win that. So you might enter the ballot and they're like, sorry, we did a random draw. There's too many people. You don't even get the right to try and purchase tickets. So that's how it goes. A bit like trying to get Taylor Swift tickets. Exactly. Exactly <laughs> like Taylor Swift. Um, and Pitch, which I'll be going to. It's in Victoria. I'll be going to next month in March. And I went to it last year as well. Is similar, um, though they then just open it up to regular sales. I think the ballot thing for them is more to get that early interest. Um, but these festivals have been booming. And when you go to them, they are – entire immersive experiences they are there is you know art installation there are other tents with yoga like whole other things going on there's like light installations um the the thought and effort that goes into the stage design and the light shows um and creating the the festival space is is unlike what you're seeing at events like grooven which are more of the nature of we've got a stage here we've got a stage there you've got food trucks you've got toilets you've got bars go run wild. These other festivals that we're referring to here, the boutique ones, they are considering the whole experience as an expression of art and an experience for the punter. So when you're looking at your wallet going, what can I afford? You know, and you've been to one of these or you've heard about one of these boutique festivals, you know, you're going to go with this model over the other. And last year I went to pitch in Victoria and then I came back and I went to Groove in the Moo in Maitland. And after going to pitch, like I had a great time at Groove and the music was great sweet but the difference was stark you know i'd just been wandering around pitch and then you integrate and you can just see that difference you know it's not as engaging a space to be in and so you do wonder how much that's playing into it as well is the model changing is what people want changing and is this kind of a a demand driven thing the demand's dropping for these types of events or they need to revolutionize in order to keep up and you mentioned the the music as well. Some people are also thinking that your more traditional indie sounding festivals like Groovin are sort of falling out of favour with your 23 and under crew and that's sort of a core demographic of those who do attend music festivals and they're instead sort of preferring EDM music and the festivals. And, you know, perhaps Groovin the Moo are just sort of ageing out of your core festival age groups. Yeah, that's another consideration is the type of music. So, uh, as you said, Groovin's always been the one that it's been that kind of, you know, typical indie Australian sound festival um, that, that you know, you'll, you'll hear around the place. And are the, are the trends changing, especially, I mean, we spoke about the influence of TikTok last week mm. on music and, and the trends that are just sweeping generations like that and grabbing a hold of them for a few months or a few years even. Now the shift, and we've seen like EDM festivals specifically um, that go on in Sydney and cities and metro areas as well, they're booming as well. They don't have any shortage of people rocking up to them. So maybe the the style of music is not appealing as much to that core demographic. With Groove in the Moo, it was an all-ages event. Um, and for someone like me, I went to my first festival, which was Groove in the Moo in Maitland when I would have been like 15 or so or 16, I think. So it's that first entry to a festival. It's that first experience. It was. It's kind of had that really place in Australian festival space where it's like this is the first experience for a lot of people of what this environment looks like. Um, and perhaps that demographic from 16 all out to 23, they're not really engaging with that music as much as they once were too. 
Yeah, and maybe it's also, you know, not just maybe the style of music, you know, indie as opposed to your more EDM festivals, but perhaps it's also people look at your headliners at a lot of these festivals and go, I've already seen them. I don't need to spend 150 plus tickets to go and see them again because I went to a music festival six months ago and they were also headlining. Like perhaps it's a matter of these festivals trying to be a little bit more creative with some of the acts that still fit the indie sound, but who they're actually looking to put on the bill. And maybe a drop of international acts have also played a part in that. Obviously, we're not going to advocate too heavy for that. <laughs> You're on home brood because we're all about new and emerging. Shut the gate. Australian music. But perhaps it has, an, has had an impact on ticket sales because you can't have your Arctic Monkeys and your bigger sort of overseas acts coming over to headline your shows. So we are seeing a lot more of the same Australian bands headlining and maybe it's just getting a little bit, you know, I've already seen them so I don't need to spend my money on seeing them again at another festival. Yeah, I've definitely had this experience looking at some lineups and it's not, like you know, it's hard to know what to think about this because you do see the same bands playing these festivals year after year or different festivals and it kind of looking very similar in terms of the makeup of the lineup. And I suppose if we go back to the boutique festivals, they are very specific with the type of artists that they want. And Laneway to an extent has always been like this too, um, where they go for a very specific type of artist. It doesn't mean the same genre, but a type of artist. Uh, and and that, that's what's there and it's different every year. So that could have played a role too. But maybe the Australian festival's ability to actually pull these big international headliner acts isn't what it once was. Maybe they're getting more money elsewhere. Maybe the the cost of getting an artist over to Australia and the bill that they're demanding to play at these festivals is too great for them to be able to feasibly do it. There's so many different elements going on here that could be contributing to it. But um, I yep. suppose... Yeah, well, we sp we've spoken about in previous music news is towards the end of last year about the royalty splits for international acts touring over in Australia. And when we spoke to Adam Spencer, I think it was back in like 2021, it was a few years ago that we spoke to him. He was saying, you know, because obviously for those unfamiliar, he used to present Breakfast on Triple J with Will Anderson. And he was saying that Aussie festivals international acts loved it because they were coming over in our summer. They were escaping their winter. It was a bit of a holiday for them. And I'm also reading Dave Grohl's book at the moment. And he talks about coming to Big Day Out in, I think it was 2005, potentially, was sort of their first two over here with the Foo Fighters. And he also says Australia's his favourite place to tour. So as a nation, we certainly have that appeal you know, for what we can offer culturally and with our landscape and just the natural beauty of our... And because Cam and I are here. And of course. But, um, you know, perhaps there is, yeah, just something missing with these festivals that we're not attracting them. Or maybe they have had a, a sort of conservative push to uh, have more Australian musicians on the bill because that's what happened during COVID and they were applauded for it by us as well. So it... it I don't know. It could be a factor. Yeah, it's it's tough. And I suppose, I mean, what you can tie this into so much that we've spoken about in recent weeks. We were talking the other day as well in the music news about Triple J and what's going, to going on there and the fact that there is this Triple J sound and there's nothing wrong with the Triple J sound, but it's one sound. Um, well, and, and we need more sounds yeah. represented in the Australian music scene, but there's not the places to do it because we're not seeing that buy-in and the, and the contribution from commercial radio, from other sectors, which could be championing Australian music of all forms. Um, and so maybe people are not as attracted to this, you know, 
Triple J in inverted commas sound that is at Groove in the Mood, that is at Falls Festival, which we also saw cancelled towards mm-hmm. the end of last year. So in those two festivals, that's two mainstays of the Australian festival scene yep. that have been around for the last 20 odd years that have shut up shop over the last 12 months. Um, no guarantees of return. They say they want to, but we know history tells us this might not be the case. And so to lose two festivals like that, two institutions, is significant and is really bad for Australian artists. And Splendour might not be too far away because, of course, we mentioned uh, another news last year that for the first time it didn't sell out last yeah. year. So the trend certainly is not heading in the right direction in you know for a lot of these festivals and, as you mentioned, for what it will mean for Australian musicians. No, not at all. And, and you know, ultimately less festivals, I mean, hit like, you know, Groove in the Moo is hitting so many places with so many different artists. That is literally so many opportunities for Australian bands to play to new audiences, to get, you know, each – there's slots for local bands and every single one of those, for local bands to get on big festival stages, play in front of these big crowds, connect with new audiences – All of that is now lost and not to be replaced in a market where it's already such strong competition for stages, for exposure, and not enough places, as we referenced, that are actually playing them and giving them a shot. So to lose another festival like this is really bad for the bands. They're also, of course, losing their paychecks. They might have a little deposit or whatever for getting on the bill, but all of these bands that were set to play are not getting paid as well, which is bad news. just looking at Groove in 2023's lineup, like it featured national, you know, ones very well known, Ballpark Music, Ocean, Alley, Skeg, Slowly, Slowly, Teen G's and the Gene Teasers. But then you also had Fatboy Slim as well, of course. But you look at like Royal Otis and Teenage Dads, two bands who really sort of had a breakout year last year. I wonder how much of that can be played down to the fact that they played six dates across the country at Groove in the Moo. Definitely would have contributed. There's no denying that. So you take that away, you take away your next Royal Lotus teenage dads, whoever it is that have sort of, you know, gained a lot of traction as a result of these festivals. For sure. And and I always go back and we always go back here at Homebrew to that conversation we had all those years ago with the preachers mm-hmm. and they made that, this was more in reference to the lockout laws um, and how many venues that was closing in Sydney. But they said if, if we were trying to make it in the lockout law era, we wouldn't have made it because there wouldn't have been a stage for us. There wouldn't have been the opportunity. We wouldn't have had the motivation to keep going or the income to keep going. So we would have just gone on with our jobs and probably played music as a hobby. And when you see festivals cancelled like this, you wonder what band that was on that bill or would have been on that bill or opportunity that would have come from that could be that butterfly effect moment that sends someone on a whole different path in their life and means that they don't make it. And the fact that we're losing opportunity in 2024 for artists when we should be seeing continued growth of our scene um, after such a hard few years in COVID is really bad news and really worrying. Yeah, it most definitely is. So uh, if you want, I mean, we've explained a lot more here than we did on the article, but if you want to read that article uh, written by my good friend, Eamon Snow, you can catch that at www.homebrewed.au. But uh, that will conclude the lengthy music news for (laughs) this evening.